Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually, forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. That are verses 42 to 48 of Psalm 119, verses 25 to 48 of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, July the 13th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. Um, we have uh, We're continuing a look at the book of Joshua. We're in the third chapter today, the first 13 verses there. We're continuing in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, and then in uh, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 11, verses 25 to 36. So <clears throat> we're, we're looking at Joshua has brought the people to the edge of the land, and now they're preparing to go over into the land and conquer. And um, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you should go, for you have not passed this way before." So the ark has to lead, and they have to give it wide berth. Um, that the ark is, is, is they want him to give two thousand cubits. Well, a cubit is about a foot and a half, so we're talking about three thousand feet, or about a thousand yards. So you're going to give it about a little bit less, that well, a little bit over half a mile <laughs> between the people and the ark. And, and that's so that the ark can lead them where they're to go because they've never been this way before. So they're finally, after 40 years in the wilderness, they're no longer wandering in circles and camping in places where they've been before. No, now they're going to go somewhere they have not been before. And so they need to let the ark lead, and they let, need to let it lead from that distance of a 1,000 yards. So then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, where have we seen that idea before about the people who are to consecrate themselves? Well, we saw it at Sinai. God tells Moses to tell the people to consecrate themselves, and the reason they have to consecrate themselves is because God's going to show up in their midst, and they need to be prepared for God to show up in their midst, and so they need to, to put off all sin. They need to have repented of sin. They needed to, to have prepared themselves for an encounter with the Holy God in a way that Moses himself had not been prepared the first time he came into contact with a holy God at the burning bush. He wasn't prepared for that, and so he, but, but he turned aside to see it, and yet then God says, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. And so it, it's important to prepare ourselves for an encounter with the living God. It's important whenever we worship to prepare our hearts and our minds in advance in order to come into the presence of the living God when we come together for worship. So Joshua tells them to consecrate themselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And then he said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. 
Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. In other words, he's he's lifting him into the role that Moses had previously occupied in the community. And so they're going to see God with Joshua in the same way that they saw God with Moses. And, And that caused a fear among the people about Moses that they that's the reason that they made the golden calves is that they wouldn't go up the mountain they wouldn't come into God's presence they didn't think it was safe to be in the presence of God and so they allowed Moses to be deputized to do that and God accepted that and and made that happen and now he's saying I'm going to do the same thing with you Joshua And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now, that's a difference between that and the Red Sea, because when they come to the Red Sea, well, they don't have an Ark, let's start there, but but when they come to the Red Sea, they're not supposed to go in the water first, they stand and Moses reaches out his staff over the waters and then the Lord rolls them back. Now he needs faith. There's an act of faith that's going to be required of these people. They have to go part way in to the water and then trust that the Lord's going to do the rest of the work necessary to get them into the land. He got them out of Egypt by bringing them through the Red Sea and then drowning Pharaoh's army behind them. Now, however, they've got to take one more step of faith. They're to go into the, um, into the Jordan River and, and stand and wait. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here's how you shall know that the Lord your God, that the living God, and that's an important thing, the living God, he's not like the gods of the nations. He's not a carved idol. He's the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. So he's going to do that work. You have a part to play. But he's going to do the work. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. We're going to see that little appellation, the, the, the Lord of all the earth, twice here in just a couple of verses, here and in one other. And it's the first time that we see this used. And why is it important? Why is it important right now for them to see that? Because what they know is, is that it, in most other nations worship a territorial god. They worship a God over a particular area. And if you look at spiritual warfare and things like that, then what you'll see is coming out of the, um, the Babel event that the sons of God were given, that those rulers, angelic rulers and beings were given territories. And so it's not false gods in the sense that they're not uh, divine. It's false gods in the sense that they're pretending to be more than they are. And so he has given those kingdoms, and we know that that's true because we see Satan offering the kingdoms of the world to Jesus. And so God has given that over and let them rule over those things, but in the end, he is the Lord of all the earth. They rule so long as he allows it. And so he is over all this. And so they need not fear when they go forward because he's the Lord of all the earth. No matter what God is there, he's the one who is over all of that. And so he's passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. 
So they're going to see the same thing happen here that happened with Moses. So when, when God tells Joshua, I'm going to begin today to exalt you in the eyes of the people so that they can see that I'm with you in the same way that I was with Moses, how's he going to do that? Well, he's going to do it by parting the waters in the same way that he did at the Red Sea. But there's a difference in what they are required to do. After 40 years, they're going to be required to take that first step of faith into those waters. Jesus in the gospel today is talking about the coming again, and he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the glorious throne. So when he comes again, it will be accompanied by all the angels. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, the king being the Son of Man, will say to those on his right. And so here again, we get this idea about the nations. And as I said before, Satan, remember, is one of the temptations, offers um, Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth, if he'll only bow down and worship him. And no, he's not willing to do that because he, he worships one, the Father. That's it. And so here, all the nations will be gathered before him. And he'll separate the people, and he'll say, Come, you who are blessed, this is to the sheep, by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So God had a plan all along, he's saying, and this, now you will inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So when it all began, this was foreordained. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So they're invited to come into the kingdom based on the, the, their hospitality and their concern and care for others. In other words, for how they loved their neighbor <laughs> in the name of Christ, because they saw Christ in the neighbor. And therefore, they, they served the neighbor as though they were serving him. I can remember Malcolm Muggeridge talking about um, Mother Teresa, and, and he, he spent some time with her. And at the time, he, had, he was not a Christian, but he spent time with Mother Teresa because he wanted to know who she was and what she was about. And so he wrote a biography about her, and, and the thing that he, that he said was he, he watched um, her take communion. And when she received it, there, there was a look on her face that was just transcendent. It was a thing of a, absolute beauty. And, and what she saw was she saw Christ in that sacrament, in the, in the body. That, that's a Roman Catholic view, that transubstantiation thing, but at the same time as Protestants, we should see Christ in the, in, the, in the Eucharist, in the communion as well, because it's his body and his blood. And so she recognized that. He said when, when she saw, we saw her take communion, it, and it really moved him. And then later he saw her working with the lepers with whom she uh, ministered, and she saw, he saw her ministering to one who was dying, and he saw that same look on her face. And that's exactly what this is, seeing Christ in the other, loving the neighbor because they bear the image of God, and Christ is in them. And so it's important that we do that. And Jesus says, even for the least of these, you know, it's, it's easy to go and do things for, um, for 
people who are good to us, people who are above us in, in status in this world or whatever, and, and so or, or, or on the same level with us. But it's harder to do it for the least of these um, because we don't see the gain. Right. I mean, we don't see the benefit of that. And so here Jesus is saying that, that it's important that we do it for the least of these. But he's also teaching at different times that we should always consider ourselves to be the least of these. And, and it's important for us that we see him in all people. It's hard sometimes to do that. You know, I know I've made that mistake in the past. I've, I've fought battles with people when I should have understood that what I was actually fighting was a spiritual battle. And it might be a spiritual battle for that person's soul who is tormenting me. And I need to be sensitive to that. I need to, to learn how better to pray for people and to see them under oppression and, and deception and then begin to pray for them that they would be able to come out of that deception and out of that oppression. And then so once he has said this to the sheep, he then turns to those on his left and says, Depart from me, you cursed before he says, come, you blessed, here he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So the, we're seeing this spiritual division between the devil and his angels. You're seeing two camps, right? Come, you who are blessed by my Father, for the kingdom, inherit the kingdom prepared for me from the foundation of the world. Depart from you, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and all his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you didn't clothe me. And sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? Then he'll answer to them, answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The, the reality of judgment is very clear. Jesus talked about it more than anybody else. It's incumbent on us to recognize these things. I, I visited a guy actually in prison, was jail, um, several years ago. And the reason that I visited him was because his, uh, an aunt of his asked me to go. And the crazy thing was is that, yeah, sure, I went, and I enjoyed spending time with this guy and all that kind of stuff. He was, he was a fine guy. He had gotten involved in drugs, and so he was you know, in a bad place. He has since come out and done well, as far as I know. But, but the crazy thing was is that, that his aunt went to my church, but her sister, his mother, didn't. Their uh, pastor wouldn't go visit him because he had committed a crime. So he wouldn't go visit him because, well, that, that would be wrong. I'm sorry. He needs to read Matthew 25 and see how wrong he was, and he needs to repent of that. It's, it's not my job to judge in that way. It's my job to bring Christ to you in that dark place. And that's what we do. We, we see Christ in the other, and in so doing, we bring the light of Christ into the dark places where they are. And, and that's all those places that Jesus mentions are dark places. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick prison, all those things. It, it, you're bringing the light of Christ into a dark place in somebody's life. It's not where they want to be. And so the Lord brings us there in order that we might bring him and bring light into those dark places. Paul here is continuing, remember, to, to lay, the, uh, lay out the case for understanding how God can be in an eternal covenant with the people of Israel, while at the same time all are not going to get in. And he, he says, let lest you be wise in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. 
a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So Paul sees a day later whenever the fullness of the Gentiles come into the new covenant. When God incorporates, then he says, and in this way all Israel will be saved, as it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So what Paul says is, is that, yep, there will, be, there will be a day when this fullness of the Gentiles have come in, and at that point, God will close the door on that, and then from that point forward, all Israel will be saved. So the, the Israel that exists at that time will all be saved. But he's already said in the past that not, not all Israel will be saved. And he, he points particularly to the fact that Abraham had more than one child. And Ishmael and his line is not part of the covenant. And then he points also then to Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah, and says he had two children, and one of those is not in the covenant. So, so there's, the, there's a pattern throughout all salvation history, Paul says, where not all are in. The covenant. And he says, as regards the gospel, speaking of the Jews, they're enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Does that mean Jesus is not necessary? No, it's, that, that's not what they're saying at all. What we're saying is God made this covenant with their forefathers, and it's an irrevocable, everlasting covenant in, in the, dependent on only the faithfulness of God. And so the, they're loved because of their forefathers, who kept that covenant, and who with whom God made the covenant. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so too they have now been disobedient in order that the mercy shown to you, by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. So everybody gets in the same way, ultimately, is what Paul said that we used to be disobedient, but now we received mercy, and so we are obedient to God. We do as he commands us to do. And then uh, they who have the covenant have become disobedient in order that they might be brought back by mercy and not by works. Oh, the, and then he goes from this theological exposition to uh, praise. And, and this is what I've said for a long time. If your theology doesn't lead to doxology, so if your knowledge of God, that's what theos logos means, theology, theos logos, the knowledge of God, then, then if you go then from there to doxology, which is the praise of God, then, then we, we've done it wrong if we don't go from theology to doxology. If your theology, your understanding of God doesn't lead you to the praise of God, then you're not understanding your own theology. Because it's exactly where it ought lead. In fact, that's where it has to lead if you've done it right. And that's what happens here with Paul. So he's given all of this theology, and then he breaks into praise. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And that's the way that I ought to feel every single day that I do a podcast. At the end of that podcast, I always to feel like I just need to go praise him. Because it's amazing that we've been given access to a portion of the mind of God that we can understand some things about him. We'll never be able to understand everything, but it's amazing 
that God has revealed himself to us and is revealing himself to us. And the fact that we're receiving that revelation tells us that we have his spirit within us. And it tells us that we are among his beloved children. And so it should lead us always into praise at the end of every podcast, at the end of every um, day, at the, at the beginning of every day. And it, we, should, we should wake up with his praise on our lips. We should go to bed with his praise on our lips. No matter what has happened that day, God is good. He is in charge. And he is the Lord of all the earth. And he is well to praise him. But it's incumbent upon us then also to put that theology not just into worship, but put that theology into practice too. What is it you believe about God? I believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I believe in the incarnation of Christ. He made the Father known in the flesh. And I believe then he's also commanded us to go and do likewise. And it's, it's, it's important for us that we in flesh what we believe, that what we believe show itself in the way that we live, the way that we treat and the others in the way that we love others.